0: You're listening to The Cultured Podcast, a weekly conversation hosted by me, Michelle Corey, that breaks down the barriers surrounding art, theater, travel, and more to serve a digestible dose of culture for all. H-E-L-L-O. Hello, everybody. Welcome to the Cultured Podcast. I am so grateful that you are here listening and participating and being curious with me today. Um, We've got quite the guest. Today, we are exploring poetry with none other than Jenny sutter She is a poet and a professor over here in Kennesaw State University, and she is... Well, I'll let you deduce for yourself, because she's pretty great. (laughs) (laughs) Shh, that's our secret. But of course, first, let's explore a little bit about what's inspiring me this week. And as always, I want to encourage you to send me an email at info at or post on Instagram hashtag culture for all or hashtag culturedpodcast and tell me what's inspiring you. And I may feature you on an upcoming episode of the Cultured Podcast, which is pretty, pretty fun. This week, I'm inspired by third culture kids. And if you've never heard that term before, I'm pretty excited to be the one to introduce you to it. I am a third culture kid. In fact, our guest today, Jenny, is a third culture kid. And I was brought to awareness about this term by a friend of mine, Christopher, who is also. And basically, it means somebody who has lived in multiple countries, has experienced multiple cultures throughout their lives. And so... They are this multi-ethnic, multicultural kind of being, this global citizen, as I like to call it. I was recently on a podcast called As Told by Nomads, which I highly recommend you listen to. Tayo Roxon is the host, and he knows a lot about what it's like to grow up across different continents even. And I find it really interesting to explore ideas of multiculturalism because we do live in this very interconnected, yet divided planet. And people like me or Jenny or Tayo or Chris, Christopher bring all of these different perspectives and cultures together within one mindset and within one being. And it creates what I think is a very fascinating person, not that I'm calling myself fascinating, (laughs) y'all, but it does create a really interesting person who is not xenophobic and who is actually – curious about exploring other cultures and other ways of being rather than scared of those others. So I encourage you to learn a little bit more about third culture kids. Definitely listen to As Told by Nomads with Tayo Roxen, who sheds light on those multicultural perspectives every single day. So, holla! Shout out to my third culture kid buddies. Love you guys. Keep being you. I know it's hard to stick out as much as we do in a world that values uh, mainstream things, but we bring a lot to this world. And I think that we are the ones who are going to be able to expand perspectives and uh, really unify people rather than keep things divided. And uh, off my soapbox I go. Now we're going to talk to Jenny. Here we go. <laughs> you know, I am fascinated by your perspective, and I touched on this a little bit in the inspiration, but you are multicultural and multi-ethnic, I believe. Um, so do you want to explain a little bit about your background first?
1: Sure, sure. Um, so my dad is from Iran, and he came here when he was 18. And my mom, she was adopted, but her birth mother is Mexican. And so she she had the the dna thing done mm-hmm. and um so we found out that she's she is indeed mexican and there's also irish in there <laughs> um so we so yeah so we weren't sure about her paternal side um my mom actually it was really sweet she waited until my grandparents passed away to tell us that she was adopted so we grew up telling people that we were italian and irish and persian you know or yeah. iranian and then you know after they passed away she told us that um that she was adopted How did that
0: alter your perspective if it did?
1: Um, You know, what was weird is around that same time when she she told us and then a couple of years later, she had done research and she knew where she was adopted from and um, contacted the nuns. And and this is in Florida, asked the nuns to open her records and tell her who her who was on the, her birth certificate, right, Yeah. Um, or on the records. And they were like, no, no, we can't do that. That's against the law. And she's like, OK. So she kept calling back. <laughs> and then one day a nun actually opened the records and told her, like, look, this is your, your biological mother's name. So it was then that she did the research and she found out that her, her biological mother was born in Mexico City. Well, around that time, I was an undergrad in college. And it was right before I found out, I was in the library and... I was looking at I used to love looking just at the spines of books. And so I was in the art section and I saw Frida Kahlo's name and I was just really drawn to her name for some reason. And so I started getting really obsessed with Frida. And then, you know, a couple of months later, I found out that um, I was Mexican, you know, or that I'm Mexican. So it's it was really it felt right. It did. You know, it, it it just felt kind of natural. And like, yeah, of course, that's what, you know, I am.
0: That's so interesting. And and there's a reason I started by talking about your background. And it's because it influences a lot about what you write in your poetry. A lot of the themes center around your background, your grandmother, your cultures. Um, so did that finding out about that and feel like you were coming into your own in any way did it feel like you were more at home within yourself I'm not trying to put words in your mouth yeah, <laughs> but yeah. I'm just wondering because it's it certainly influenced a lot of your writing after that point
1: yeah I mean I think that I'm constantly you know I, th- I think that most poets and most writers are constantly trying to figure out how they feel mm. about anything they're processing you know man um and that's, you know, that's a lot of hard work. You know, I, I talk to my students. This is a little side note, but I talk to my students every semester and they're like, you know, poets are so depressed. I'm like, you guys don't understand that like writing is all about looking at the internal. Mm. And I would argue that we live in a society that is all about distracting ourselves, you oh, know, yeah. with with and I do it, too. You know, I think that it's only natural that when you're constantly reflecting that you're going to come up with a shadow and all these other things, right? But definitely, I, I think I'm, especially now, right, with, with political things, um, <laughs> <laughs> the world we live in, I think even more so, I'm constantly very hyper aware of who I am. And
0: that is a difficult exercise for your students, how do you teach them to open themselves to their own feelings? Is that something that can be
1: taught? It's really difficult. You know, a lot of them come to writing poetry and they want rules, you know, um, they're, and I try to explain to them, you know, like you're not giving me your job as a poet is not to Give information. It's not to provide information. You are trying to move the reader emotionally. And so a lot of them want to sit down and have an idea. Well, I'm going to write about this breakup, and this is what this poem's going to be about. Well, You can't do that. Like it's not gonna be a very good poem. You know, you have to kind of I tell them to use an image as the seed when they sit down. And so that way they're not tied to an outcome, they're not tied to any kind of emotion. But yeah, I I think it just it it's hard. It's difficult for them to to wanna be vulnerable. But I think the workshop environment, because it's smaller, I think they learn to trust people that are in there and learn to trust me and that it's okay to drop the facade and just kind of be honest because everyone else is.
0: Wow. It reminds me of how I like to go to art museums every once in a while and sit down and write short stories about different paintings, just like wander the museum. And if something strikes a chord, for whatever reason, just sit down and write a short story about it. And I never thought about doing that for poetry. Mm -hmm. And I... I think I'm like your students where I would assume that you start with the emotion or you start, you know, and so I like that idea of starting with an image. So let's dig into your latest book, Malak. Uh, Tell us a little bit about this book.
1: You know, it started off with a series of poems about my grandmother, who her name was Malak, and how she could, she would read coffee grounds um, and tell people their fortunes, mostly family. Mm -hmm. And, um, And so it started there. And then And then it became about me, Mm. which I'm not, you know, ironically, as I'm telling my students to be vulnerable, I don't really like writing about myself, but but it became um, really a chance for me to document all the things that were going on around me, you know, TVs turning on and off, you know, um, side mirrors imploding, you know, (laughs) just all kinds of energetic things that made me believe in the metaphysical world and, and in things that were much, much bigger than me. And and so it kind of it, it's going back and forth between what's passed down, you know, what you can predict, leaving the past behind in order to become who you are, all those sorts of things.
0: Those are powerful themes. Yeah. I think those are things we all go through and to face those things dead on and then to put them on paper where they can look back at you in the shape of letters and words is a scary thing. So it takes courage, I imagine.
1: Maybe. (laughs) You know, this is like, this is the only way I know to make sense of things. You know, it's the only way um, it's kind of exercising them, Mm. you know, and so, so to me, it's just kind of natural. Um, But it is it is a personal book. Tell us about when you first started writing poetry. I think I was 10. um, And I remember I was asking my mom, you know, I wanted to do something. And she said, why don't you just sit down and write a poem? And I was like, what? And and I was like, about what? And she was like, write a poem about the sun, Jenny. I don't know. And so then (laughs) I just just trying to keep you busy. (laughs) But you know, and, and so much of the credit really goes to my mom, not even for that. But for everything leading up to that, I mean, she would take my sister and I to the bookstore and it would be like, just go crazy. You know, we, we were really fortunate enough um, and grateful that that we had that opportunity, you know, and so it was just a constant devouring of books in our house. You know, I saw my mom read all the time. And, and any book I wanted, she was like, done. And so I think that for somebody who's an introvert, you know, I mean, it's said over and over again, but it's your own little world. And that's really comforting, you know, and that's, I feel like, super important for everyone, but especially for introverts.
0: When did you realize that poetry was something you wanted to dedicate the rest of your life to?
1: You know, I don't know. I, I was writing in middle school. And then in high school, I put together a portfolio. There was a creative writing award for my high school. And it wasn't very active in sports or anything else, you know, band or, or anything like that. So creative writing, I kind of latched onto that. And then I won the creative writing award. And um, I mean, but I even remember, you know, I look back now and I think about, I don't know, just how... I don't know if brave's the word, but like there was this Chattanooga paper, it was just like this free paper. Um, and it was called at the time it was called the Norm. And back then there was no email. And so I called up the editor and I said, you know, do you want to publish some of my poetry? And I was like sixteen, you know. <laughs> <That's> amazing. <laughs> and he was like, Sure, just mail me like a couple of poems every week or whatever. And so there it was, like every week my poems were all over Chattanooga, you know. But I think though those, you know, publishing in that that paper and then the Creative Writing word kind of gave me the reassurance I needed that yeah. I, I should probably keep doing this, that this is something I enjoy. And that the world needs it. Yeah, yeah.
0: This isn't your first book that you've published.
1: No, this is my second collection.
0: Right. Yeah. So tell us about the process of writing and publishing a book of poetry.
1: So with poetry, it's not like prose. So a lot of fiction, some people have um, agents. And so those people go out and field, you know, find the main, find, try and find the manuscript at home Uh, with a publisher. With poetry, it's, it's different in that you yourself are sending out your work. And hoping that it gets picked up. And so I had written the first book while I was in grad school at Georgia State, and I had sent it out to some places, and it was rejected. And then finally, it found a home. And so after it was accepted, then we we edited it, and then it was published. And but when you're
0: when you set out to do it, do you set out to write a book on poetry?
1: No. Yeah. No. That's <laughs> a, yeah. That's a great question. No, I think that I've worked that way, and I don't think it works best for me. Mm -hmm. Um, I think it's better if I try not to envision what this is going to be. And so a lot of, you know, with the first book, parts of that were in a chat book. You know, so Mm -hmm. I would send out the poems singularly, then I put together a chat book, and then I wrote some more poems and pushed those together into a collection. with Malak, it was the same kind of process. It was it was more, I guess, organic in that, you know, oh, I'm writing a lot of poems about my grandmother, <laughs> about, you know, energy and, you know, magic and things like that. Maybe all these would go together and make a nice manuscript.
0: Yeah, I think so. <laughs> Good instincts.
1: So what's a chapbook? So a chapbook is a baby book. So it's like half a book. Mm-hmm. So most books are maybe like 60 pages. So a chapbook is like 24 to 30 pages possibly.
0: Okay. So you see a theme start to develop in all of your writing, and then you realize this would make a really good collection. So what are some of the exercises that you have to employ to get yourself writing constantly? Or is it more of a just soul desire and urge?
1: You know, I I really admire those writers who sit down every morning and, and are really dedicated, and that's how they work. I don't work that way. You know, I'm, I'm more, you know, I joke about this, but I tend to write a lot when I'm up in the air. So there's something about being in a plane. Um, I don't know what it is. But like, I went to New Mexico, and I wrote like eight poems in the plane, you know, (sighs) one way. I I don't know, maybe the air up there is more inspiring. I have no idea. (laughs) I think that I look for those themes and and just kind of you know, it's almost like channeling to stay on the the whole metaphysical yeah. <laughs> uh, theme. I, I feel like they just kind of come to me. And I and I try not to um, force it. So I'll write a poem and then I'll save the file and then I'll let it breathe a little bit, you know, and then I'll come back to it maybe in a couple of weeks and see how it sits with me. And then I'll keep revising it and then put it away again. And, and I have people who, who are really close and who are really good readers and they take a look at it and
0: Oh, that's really nice that you have a group of people that yeah. you can rely on for that outside set of eyes. Yeah. Although it's, you know, it's a little difficult because it's not, it's it's your expression, right? It's yeah. an expression of your soul. So I'm sure you run across sometimes when people are like, I just don't get this, but it's not for them to get. Do you ever feel that way?
1: Well, I mean, I think I I think that's something that I I struggle with with my students, too, is they'll read a poem and they're like, well, I don't get it. And I'm like, I don't care. (laughs) Like, it's not about comprehension. You know, were you moved? You know, did mm-hmm. your emotion change from the first line to the last line? And it's funny that you bring up museums because I constantly tell my students poems are like paintings. Like if you want to look at it that way, there's not going to be a little plaque beside a painting. You know, you don't go and there's not a Basquiat little thing, you know, a little plaque that says this painting is about this. You mm-hmm. know, it's just how does it make you feel? And that's what poetry does, too. And I feel like because it's the written word, though, we're used to words communicating information. And so you have... I, they. I try and teach them to like disconnect from this is not about comprehension. You know, this is not about um, what is this about? And so I-, I think that one of my weaknesses, probably my biggest weakness, is that I find it uncomfortable to get vulnerable and Mm -hmm. so when I get to the end I'm like okay let's wrap this up you know like let me get out really soon and not even like delve into the really deep stuff yeah and so I've had people my close readers kind of point that out and that's super helpful so
0: helpful because then you kind of push yourself it's it's uncomfortable sometimes when you're writing about personal feelings and experiences and right when we start feeling uncomfortable our instinct is to flee yeah but sometimes you got to waddle in it yeah. and you got to feel it and just sift through it and it's gross and icky and then magic happens. Yeah. Speaking of magic, <laughs> let's explore a little bit about the moments that you captured in words about magic. What spurred you uh, to write about these metaphysical experiences you were having?
1: It was, a, I mean, I remember all these things kept happening and, and I just sat down and was very clear with myself. And I said, I'm going to make, like, here's why you should believe magic exists. These are all the things that have happened to me. And so I started kind of with that essay that I ended up breaking up in here. It was a creative nonfiction essay um, called Where It Came From. And and that, that was really it, you know. It was this real desire for people to believe that, you know, synchronicities, energy, all the, those sorts of things really exist, mm-hmm. you know. Um,
0: powerful stuff. So who are some of the poets who inspire you?
1: Well, I really like Mary Ruffla. Um, She's super playful and she has a really great imagination. Of course, I like Anne Sexton. Sexton's always going to be my favorite. Uh, Nicole Seeley is someone that I've started reading. Um, She wrote a great, great book. And I read tons and tons of fiction. That's my guilty thing that I actually read a lot more fiction than poetry.
0: <laughs> um, well, do you think that maybe that's actually a tool so that you're not clouded by other people's forms of expressing themselves?
1: I think so. I think that it's really about um, also, I can see the scaffolding when I read poetry. You what know? do you mean? It's difficult for me to get in the poem because I'm like, oh, look at that line break. I see what they did here. Whereas with poetry, I mean, with fiction, I don't really know those tools. I don't know the tricks that they're doing. So I'm like, oh, this is great. You're able to
0: really get into it. Yeah.
1: Yeah. And I am able to get into poetry, but it's just different, you know? Right. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
0: So speaking of inspiration and muses, would you mind reading a poem from Malak to
1: inspire our cultured crew and me? Of course. (laughs) So this is language of signs. I slept the whole day without remembering Malak. I dreamt I had a son growing so fast, a tomato plant sprawled everywhere unstoppable. I held him at my hip line and I fed his hunger. Now he's a pitcher of water. His teeth hiding behind his father's lips or proud outside of his mouth like mine. Then Malak, I saw a nun. A black veil trailed her head, and I followed her like a ghost or bride. Who has my voice? Let me follow it.
0: Wow. Pitter-patters in the heart. Thank you for sharing that. And will you tell us a little bit about what that meant to you?
1: Yeah, I mean, I for me, you know, this was a day I forgot that um, when she had passed away, and it was the day she had passed away, and I had forgotten about that. Um, and then just this idea of she had seen in my coffee grounds that I was going to have a baby, which I never had. <laughs> and so there's a stream of having the son or this child that she had she had predicted for me and kind of reporting back to her. And then I I did see a nun at a target and I'm obsessed with nuns because I just think they're really cool. But (laughs) and I and whenever I see a nun, I always kind of it takes all I can do not to follow them because I feel like they're going to tell me some truth or something that's like amazing. And so just this kind of seeking out of of the spiritual uh, for answers.
0: How apropos that it was a nun, A naughty nun who broke the law, (laughs) who is the one who sort of shed new light on your own identity, so to speak.
1: Hopefully, Yeah. I didn't even make that connection. Really? No, I didn't even intend that. No way. Look at you.
0: I'm here to pick your brain apart. Wow. Okay, cool. I'm just getting shivers down my spine. Well, on that note, thank you so much for being here and for sharing so much inspiration with us. And it's been a pleasure. Thanks. Well, if you do not have shivers down your spine like I do, then you need to go to Jenny because there is a lot more work that you can dig into. You can also buy her book Malak by visiting her website and you can visit Jenny on Twitter and Instagram at Jenny S.O.O. And her last name is a little difficult to spell. So I definitely recommend you go to the show notes at culturedpodcast.com. And all these tasty links are going to be there. All right, y'all. Well, I am going to go curl up in my bed and read Malak right now. And I hope that you do, too. Until next time. Keep it classy. Keep it curious. Keep it cultured. I'm Michelle Corey. Sean Powers is our producer. David Markowitz is our executive producer. The Cultured Podcast is a production of Zero Mile Media made with love in Atlanta. You can listen to The Cultured Podcast on culturedpodcast.com, Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Stitcher, Pocket Casts, and anywhere podcasts are found.